Book Six, Chapter Six of the History of Sir Richard Carmody. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Anne Fletcher, Richmond, Tasmania, two thousand and twenty. The History of Sir Richard Carmody by Lucas Mallet. Book Six, Chapter Six: A Litany of the Sacred Heart. Richard drew himself up onto the wide, cushioned bench below the oriel window. The February day was windless and very bright, and although in sheltered, low-lying places where the frost held, the snow still lingered, in the open it had already disappeared, and that without unsightliness of slush, shrinking and vanishing, cleanly burned up and absorbed by the genial heat. A Sabbath-day restfulness held the whole land. There was no movement of labour, either of man or beast, and a kindred restfulness pervaded the house. The rooms were vacant, none passed to and fro, for it so happened that good Mr. Carroll's successor, the now rector of Sandyfield, had been called away to deliver certain charity sermons at West Church, and that to-day Julius March officiated in his stead therefore lady carmody and miss st quentin and the major part of the brockhurst household had repaired by carriage or on foot to the little squat red-brick georgian church whose two bells rang out so friendly and fussy an admonition to the faithful to gather within its walls richard had the house to himself and this accentuation of solitude combined with wider space wherein he could range without fear of observation was far from unwelcome to him last night he had untied the tag of rusty black ribbon binding together the packet of tattered dog-eared little chapbooks which for so long had reposed in the locked drawer of julius march's study-table beneath the guardianship of the bronze pieta with very conflicting feelings he had mastered the contents of those same untidy little volumes and learned the sordid and probably fabulous tale set forth in them in meanest vehicle of jingling verse vulgarly told to catch the vulgar ear pandering to the popular superstitions of a somewhat ignoble age it proved repugnant enough as julius had anticipated both to richard's reason and to his taste the critical faculty rejected it as an explanation absurdly inadequate the cause was wholly disproportionate to the effect as though a mouse should spring forth a mountain instead of a mountain a mouse at least that was how the matter struck richard at first for the story was after all as he told himself but a commonplace of life in every civilised community many a man sins thus and many a woman suffers and many bastards are yearly born into the world without perhaps unfortunately subsequent manifestation of the divine wrath and signal chastisement of the sinner or of his legitimate heirs male or female affiliation orders are as well known to magistrates clerks as are death certificates of children bearing the maiden name of their mother to those of the registrar all that richard could dispose of if with a decent deploring of the frequency of it yet composedly enough but there remained that other part of it and this he could not dispose of so cursorily his own unhappy deformity it was true was amply accounted for on lines quite other than the fulfilment of prophecy 
offering as it did example of a class of prenatal accidents which if rare is still admittedly recurrent in the annals of obstetrics and embryology nevertheless the foretelling of that strange child of promise whose outward aspect and the circumstances of whose birth as set forth in the sorry rhyme of the chapbook bore such startling resemblance to his own impressed him deeply it astonished it in a sense appalled him for it came so very near it looked him so insistently in the face it laid strong hands on him from out the long past claiming him associating itself imperatively with him asserting whether he would or no the actuality and inalienability of its relation to himself science might pour scorn on that relation exposing the absurdity of it both from the moral and physical point of view but sentiment held other language and so did that nobler morality which takes its rise in considerations spiritual rather than social and economic and finds the origins and ultimates alike not in things seen and temporal but in things unseen and eternal things which though they tarry long for accomplishment can neither change nor be denied nor short of accomplishment can pass away and it was this aspect of the whole strange matter the thought namely of that same child of promise who predestined to bear the last and heaviest stroke of retributive justice should bearing it rightly bring salvation to his race which obtained with dicky on the fair sunday morning in question it refused to quit him it affected him through all his being it appealed to the poetry the idealism of his nature a poetry and idealism not dead as he had bitterly reckoned them though sorely wounded by ill-living and the disastrous issues of his passion for helen de valorbe he seemed to apprehend the approach of some fruitful far-ranging profoundly reconciling and beneficent event as in the theatre at naples when morabita sang and to his fever-stricken brain-sick fancy the dull-coloured multitude in the parterre murmured buzzing remonstrant as angry swarming bees so now a certain exaltation of feeling exaltation of hope came upon him yet having grown through determined rebellion and unlovely experience not a little distrustful of all promise of good he turned on himself bitterly enough asking if he would never learn to profit by hardly bought practical knowledge if he would never contrive to cast the simpleton wholly out of him he had been fooled many times fooled there at naples to the point of unpardonable insult and degradation what so probable as that he would be fooled again now and so in effort to shake off both the dominion of unfounded hope and the gnawing ache of inward emptiness which made that hope at once so cruel and so dear as the sound of wheels dying away along the lime avenue assured him that the goodly company of church-goers had verily and indeed departed he set forth on a pilgrimage through the great silent house passing through the two libraries the antechamber and state drawing-room with its gilded furniture fine pictures and tapestries he reached the open corridor at the stairhead here the polished oak floor the massive balusters and tall carven newel posts 
each topped by a guardian griffin long of tail ferocious of beak and sharp of claw showed with a certain sober cheerfulness in the pleasant light for through all the great windows of the eastern front the sun slanted in obliquely while in the chapel room beyond situated in the angle of the house and thus enjoying a southern as well as eastern aspect richard found a veritable carnival of misty brightness so that he moved across to the oriel window whose grey stone mullions and carved transoms showed delicately mellow of tone between the glittering leaded panes in a glory of welcoming warmth and sunlight frost and snow might linger in the hollows but here in the open on the upland spring surely had already come with the help of a brass ring riveted by a stanchion into the space of panelling below the stone window-sill placed there long ago when he was a little lad to serve him in such case as the present richard drew himself up on to the cushioned bench he unfastened one of the narrow curved iron-framed casements and leaning his elbows on the sill looked out the air was mild the smell of the earth was sweet with a cleanly wholesome sweetness the sunshine covered him and somehow whether he would or no hope reasserted its dominion and that exaltation of feeling entered into possession of him once again as he rested gazing away over the familiar home scene over this land which as far as sight carried had belonged to his people these many generations and was now his own directly below at the foot of the descending steps of the main entrance lay the square red-walled space of gravel and of turf he looked at it curiously for there with the maiming and death of thomas calmady's bastard if legend said truly all this tragic history of disaster had begun there too the clown racehorse of merry name and mournful memory had paid the penalty of wholly involuntary transgression just thirty years ago that last was a rather horrible incident of which richard never cared to think chiffney had told him about it once in connection with the parentage of verdigree had told him just by chance to think of it even now made a lump rise in his throat across the turf offering quaint contrast to those somewhat bloody memories the peacocks in all their bravery of royal blue-purple living green and gold led forth their sober-clad mates they had come out from the pepper-pot summer-houses to sun themselves they stepped mincingly with a worldly and disdainful grace and reaching the gravel their resplendent trains swept the rounded pebbles making a small dry rattling sound which so deep was the surrounding quiet asserted itself to the extent of saluting dicky's ears beyond the red wall the parallel lines of the elm avenue swept down to the blue and silver levels of the long water the alder copses bordering which showed black-purple and the reed beds rusty as a fox against thin stretches of still unmelted snow the avenue climbed the farther ascent to the wide archway of the red and grey gatehouse just short of the top of the long ridge of bare moorland the grass slopes of the park to the left were backed by the dark saw-like edge of the fir forest and a soft gloom of oak woods grey-brown and mottled as a lizard's belly and back 
closed the end of the valley eastward. On the right, the terraced gardens, with their ranges of glittering conservatories, fell away to the sombre pond in the valley, home of loudly discoursing companies of ducks. The gentle hillside above was clothed by plantations and a grove of ancient beech trees, whose pale, smooth boles stood out from among undergrowth of lustrous hollies and the warm russet of fallen leaves. And over it all brooded the restfulness of the Sabbath and the gladness of a fair and equal light. And the charm of the scene worked upon Richard, not with any heat of excitement, but with a temperate and reasonable grace. For the spirit of it all was a spirit of temperance, of moderation, of secure tranquillity, a spirit stoic rather than epicurean, ascetic rather than hedonic, yet generous, spacious, nobly reasonable, giving ample scope for very sincere, if soberly clad, pleasures, and for activities by no means despicable or unmanly, though of a modest, unostentatious sort. Dicky had tried not a few desperate adventures, had conformed his thought and action to not a few glaring patterns, rushing to violences of extreme colour, extreme white and black. All that had proved pre-eminently unsuccessful, a most poisonous harvest of Dead Sea fruit. What, he began to ask himself, if he made an effort to conform it to the pattern actually presented to him? mellow, sun-visited, with the brave red of weather-stained masonry in it, blue and silver of water and sky, lustre of sturdy hollies, as well as the solemnity of leafless woods, finger of frost in the hollows and bleakness of snow. And as he sat meditating thus, breathing the clear air, feeling the tempered yet genial sun-heat, many questions began to resolve themselves. He seemed to look, as down a long, cloudy vista, beyond the tumult and unruly clamour, the wayward resistance and defiant sinning, the craven complainings, the ever-repeated suspicions and misapprehensions of man, away into the patient, unalterable purposes of God. And looking for the moment into those purposes, he saw this also, namely, that sorrow, pain, and death are sweet to whosoever dares, instead of fighting with or flying from them, to draw near, to examine closely, to inquire humbly into their nature and their function. He began to perceive that these three reputed enemies, hated and feared of all men, are after all the fashioners and teachers of humanity, to whom it is given to keep hearts pure, godly, and compassionate, to purge away the dross of pride, hardness, and arrogance, to break the iron bands of ambition, self-love, and vanity, to purify by endurance and by charity, welding together, as with the cunning strokes of the master craftsman's hammer, the innumerable individual atoms into a corporate whole, of fair form, of supreme excellence of proportion, the image and example of a perfect brotherhood, of a republic more firmly based and more beneficent than even that pictured by the divine Plato himself, since that was consolidated by exclusion, this by inclusion and pacification of those things which men most dread. 
he perceived that without the guiding and chastening of these three lovely terrors humanity would indeed wax wanton and this world become the merriest court of hell lust and corruption have it all their own foul way the flesh triumph and all bestial things come forth to flaunt themselves gaudily greedily without remonstrance and without shame in the light of day perceived in these three a trinity of holy spirits bearing for ever the message of the divine mercy and forgiveness perceived how of necessity only the man of sorrows can truly be the son of god and perceiving all this richard's attitude towards his own unhappy deformity began to suffer modification the sordid yet extravagant chapbook legend no longer outraged either his moral or his scientific sense he recalled his emotions in the theatre at naples when morabita sang remembering how wholly welcome had then been to him that imagined approaching act of retributive justice he recalled too the going forth of love towards his supposed executioners which he had experienced his reverence for and yearning towards the dull-coloured working-bees of the parterre how he had longed to be at one with them partaker of their corporate action and corporate strength how he had rejoiced in the conviction that the final issues are subject to their ruling that the claims of want are stronger than those of wealth that labour is more honourable than sloth intelligence than privilege liberty more abiding than tyranny the idea of equality of fellowship more excellent than the aristocratic idea that of born master and born serf and both that welcome of the accomplishment of a signal act of justice and that desire to participate in the eternal strength of the children of labour as against the ephemeral and fictitious strength of the children of idleness and wealth found strange confirmation in the chapbook legend for it seemed to richard that taking all that singular matter both of prophecy and of cure simply as believers take some half miraculous scripture tale he had already in his own person in right of the physical uncomeliness of it paid part at all events of the price demanded by the eternal justice for his ancestors sinning and for his own it was not needful that the bees should swarm and the dull-coloured multitude revenge itself on the indolent full-fed larvae peopling the angular honey-cells as far as he richard calmady was concerned that revenge had been taken long ago in a mysterious and rather terrible manner before his very birth while in the stern denunciation the adhering curse of the outrage and so soon to be childless mother he found the just and age-old protest the patient faith of the eventual triumph of the proletariat of the defenceless poor as against the callous self-seeking and sensuality of the securely guarded rich by the fact of his deformity he was emancipated from the delusions of his class was made one in right of the suffering and humiliation of it with the dull-coloured multitudes whose corporate voice declares the ultimate verdict who are the architects and judges of civilization of art even of religion even in a degree of nature herself 
salvation according to the sorry yet inspiring rhyme of the chapbook was contingent upon precisely this recognition of brotherhood with and practice of willing service towards all maimed and sorrowful creatures his america was here or nowhere his vocation clearly indicated his work immediate and close at hand how the eternal justice might see fit to deal with other souls why he had been singled out for so peculiar and conspicuous a fate richard did not pretend to say all that had become curiously unimportant to him for he had ceased to call that fate a cruel one it had changed its aspect it had come suddenly to satisfy both his conscience and his imagination with a movement at once of wonder and of deep-seated thankfulness he for the first time held out his hands to it accepting it as a comrade pledging himself to use rather than to spurn it he looked at it steadfastly and so looking found it no longer abhorrent but of mysterious virtue and efficacy endued with power to open the gates of a way closed to most men into the heart of humanity which in a sense is nothing less than the heart of almighty god himself it was as though like the saint of old daring to kiss the scabs and sores of the leper he found himself gazing on the divine lineaments of the risen christ and this brought to him a sense of almost awed repose it released him from the vicious circle of self of sharp-toothed disappointment and leaden-heavy discouragement in which he had so long fruitlessly turned he seemed consciously to slough off the foul and ragged garment of the past and all its base unprofitable memories as the snake sloughs off her old skin in the warm may weather and glides forth glittering in a coat of untarnished silver mail the whole complexion of his thought regarding his personal disfigurement was changed not that he flattered himself the discomfort the daily vexation and impediment of it had passed away on the contrary these very actually remained and would remain to the end and the consequences they entailed remained also the restrictions and deprivations they inflicted they put many things dear to every sane and healthy-minded man hopelessly out of his reach very much upon the shelf love and marriage were shelved thus in his opinion let alone lesser and more ephemeral joys only the ungrudging acceptance of the denial of those joys whether small or great was a vital part of that idea to the evolution of which he now dedicated himself that whole which in process of its evolution would make for a sober and temperate well-being formed on the pattern sober yet nobly spacious cleanly and wholesome of the sun-visited landscape there without he had just got to discipline himself into the harmony with the idea newly revealed to him and that as he told himself not without a sense of the humour of the situation in certain aspects meant in more than one department plenty of work and he had to spend himself and go on through good report and ill through gratitude and if needs be through abuse and detraction still spending himself actively untiringly in the effort to make some one person it hardly mattered whom 
but for choice those who like himself had been treated unhandsomely by nature or by accident just a trifle happier day by day but while richard rested thus in the quiet sunshine he lost count of time high noon came and passed finding and leaving him in absorbed contemplation of his own thought at last a barking of dogs and the sound of wheels away on the north side of the house broke up the silence then a faint echo of voices a boy's laughter in the great hall below then footsteps which he took to be lady carmody's coming lightly up the grand staircase at the stairhead those footsteps paused for a little space as though in indecision whither to turn and richard pushed by an impulse of considerateness somewhat it must be owned new to him called mother is that you do you want me i'm in here whereat the footsteps came forward in at the open door and through the soft glory of the all-pervading sunshine with an effect of gentle urgency and haste catherine's grey silk pelisse was unfastened showing the grey silk gown its floating ribbons pretty frills and flounces beneath every detail of her dress was very fresh and very finished a demure daintiness in it from the topmost grey plume and upstanding velvet bow of her bonnet to the pretty shoes upon her feet along with a lace handkerchief and her church books she carried a bunch of long stalked violets her face was delicately flushed a great surprise touching upon anxiety tempering the quick pleasure of her expression my dearest she said this is as delightful as it is unexpected what brings you here and richard smiled at her without reserve no longer as though putting a force upon himself or of set purpose but naturally spontaneously as one who entertains pleasant thoughts he took her hand and kissed it with a certain courtliness and reverent fervour i came to look for something here he said which i have looked for at many times and in very various places yet never somehow managed to find but catherine at once tenderly charmed and rendered yet more anxious by a quality in his manner and in his speech unfamiliar to her the purport of which she failed at once to gauge answered him literally my dearest why didn't you tell me i would have looked for it before i went to church and saved you the trouble of the journey from the gallery here oh the journey wasn't bad for me i rather enjoyed it dicky said and then to tell you the truth you've spent the better part of your dear life in looking for that same something which i could never manage to find poor sweet mother no thanks to me so far that you haven't utterly worn yourself out in the search for it he paused and gazed away out of the open casement but i have a good hope that all's over and done with now and that at last i've found the thing myself and catherine still charmed still anxious looked down at him wondering for there was a perceptible undercurrent of emotion beneath the lightness of his speech however all that will keep he continued how did you enjoy your church did dear old julius distinguish himself how did he preach and catherine still wondering again answered literally oh, very beautifully she said with an unusual force and pathos he took the congregation not a little by storm he fairly carried us away 
he was eloquent and that with a simplicity which made one question whether he did not speak out of some pressing personal experience catherine's manner was touched by a pretty edge of pique really i believed i knew all about julius and his doings by this time but it seems i don't i think i must find out it would vex me that anything should happen in which he needed sympathy and that i did not offer it his subject was the answer to prayer and the fulfilment of prophecy and how both come come surely and directly yet often in so different a form to that which in our narrowness of vision and dullness of sense we anticipate that we fail to recognize either the answer or the fulfilment and so miss the blessing they must needs bring and which is so richly so preciously ours if we had but the wit to understand and lay hold of it whereupon richard smiled again yes he said very probably julius did speak out of personal experience or rather vicarious experience however i don't think he need worry this time at least i hope not the answer to prayer and fulfilment of prophecy when they're good enough to come along don't always get the cold shoulder then his expression changed hardened a little his lips growing thin and his jaw set look here mother he added i think perhaps i have been rather playing the fool lately since we came home i propose to take to the ordinary habits of civilized christian man again if it doesn't bother you would you kindly let the servants know that i am coming down to luncheon oh my dearest how stupid of me i am so grieved catherine cried she sat down beside him on the cushioned bench dropping service books handkerchiefs and violets in the extremity of her gentle and apologetic distress it never occurred to me that you might like to come down the newlands people came over to church and i brought mary and the two boys back godfrey is over from eton for the sunday and little dick has had a cold and has not gone back to school yet oh, what can we do it would be lovely to have you and yet i don't quite know how i can send them away again oh, but why on earth should they be sent away richard said touched and amused by her earnestness mary's always a dear and i've been thinking lately i shouldn't mind seeing something of that younger boy he is my godson isn't he and not tells me he is curiously like you and uncle roger you see it's about time to select an heir apparent for brockhurst luckily i've a free hand my life's the last in the entail then looking at him lady calmady's lips trembled a little health had returned and with it his former good looks but matured spiritualized as it seemed to her just now the livid line of the scar had died out too and was nearly gone and all this taken in connection with his words just uttered affected her to so great and poignant a love so great and poignant a fear of losing him that she dared not trust herself to make any comment on those same words lest the floodgates of emotion should be opened and she should lose her self-control very well dicky she said bowing her head then she added quickly with a little gasp of renewed distress and apology oh but oh dear me honoria is here too 
whereat Richard laughed outright. He could not help it. She was so vastly engaging in her distress. "'All right,' he said. "'I am equal to accepting Honoria St. Quentin into the bargain. "'In short, mother dear, I take over the lot, "'and if anybody else turns up between now and two o'clock, "'I'll take them over as well. "'Why, why, you dear sweet, don't look so scared. "'There's nothing to trouble about. "'I'm not too good to live, never fear.' On the contrary, I am prepared to do quite a fine amount of living, only on new and more modest lines, perhaps. But we won't talk about that just yet, please. We'll wait to give it a name until we're a little more sure how it promises to work out. End of chapter 6 of Book 6